Hi, and welcome to Women CEO in Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and today's guest is Deborah Smith. She's the co-founder and CEO of the Center Cap Group and heads the firm's strategic capital and M&A and execution efforts. Prior to CCG, Deborah served as co-head of M&A and senior marketing director with CB Richard Ellis Investor and led their negotiation and acquisitions of majority interest in Woods Partners, one of the largest multifamily developers in the United States. Throughout her career, Deborah has worked with Lehman Brothers, Wachovia Securities, Morgan Stanley, and been involved in over 100 plus billion transactions. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Hi, Marissa. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. I'm so excited to have you talk. You know, you and I already had a little bit of a talk up front and you're so fascinating. You've been telling me about your journey. Um, you know, the world of finance, right? It's very male dominated uh, industry. Um, tell me a little bit about what, what drove you into the field of finance and your journey to becoming the CEO of the Center Cap Group. Sure. So I am actually Australian. Uh, I grew up in Australia on a dairy farm. And, you know, I think in our two-second catch-up before our podcast today, we resonated on the point that we weren't supposed to be doing these things. And, and I think that's pretty much characteristic of my own upbringing, being raised on a dairy farm and never expecting to do anything except get married and have children and stay on a dairy farm. And my path took a different journey. I was very fortunate to have a lot of amazing mentors uh, surrounded around me when I got through my later years of high school and into college. But the reality is, is I thought I was going to be a tax attorney. And I went to law school and I was going to work for one of the big uh, accounting firms in their legal departments. And I got an offer from Morgan Stanley. I didn't know much about Morgan Stanley and I didn't know a lot about investment banking and but decided to give it a go. I had gotten the offer. I've never looked back. And interesting enough from all the folks that interviewed to do finance is in my starting class at Morgan Stanley, I think I've outlasted most of them uh, without, my, <laughs> without a plan, without a plan of being a banker, I've outlasted them and, and then went on and have started my own firm and have been doing this for the past 13 years. And I love it as much today as when I started it. And I thank my lucky stars every day that um, I get to do something that I love. That's so, I love that. So, so I work in IT and finance for most of my career, not investment finance, but like financials mm -hmm. for corporations. I think it's fun. Like data is fun to me. Like accounting is fun to me. Um, where do you think that for, and for me, my parents, you know, they owned real estate. And so we, because they didn't speak English, um, we had to do all the books for them, right? And so yeah. for me, I, that's how I learned it. Where do you think that passion came from for you? No clue. I, you know, I was not a particularly great student uh, in middle school. And I just had this conversation uh, with a friend a few days ago who was surprised by that, given my career and given my focus on academics as a parent today. 
But I, I was not. I, a lot of times I didn't go to school um, either. Particularly, I, I did a lot of athletics and I traveled a lot for sport. And I, I was very engaged in that. But the reality is, is academics was not a priority up until I was pretty much in the 11th grade. And I just happened to have an economics teacher who thought I was kind of smart and said, you know what, you should think about going to university. And I was like, well, university, what do you mean going to university? He had to help me fill out my form. And I ended up graduating valedictorian of my school. Um, when, when I graduated, I did very, very well going into college, but it was a huge adjustment. I, it was way out of anything I could have contemplated uh, going in and, and people that I was surrounded by had parents that, you know, who either been down that path or had a background or had some guidance and, and I didn't have any of that. I didn't even really understand how to pick a major um, when I did my economics degree. And, and I simply picked um, political science because I thought accounting sounded kind of boring. Um, and yet here I am now, I wish I did an accounting degree. <laughs> it's uh, all the things I, I, but I wish I had known these things when I was younger, um, but, but I didn't. And I don't look back with any regret. I, I look back um, with a little bit of amazement. Uh, that I've gotten to where I am with, with, with you know, with no real foundation to begin with. <laughs> well, did your parents support you through that? Because you completely changed like from, from Australia to the U.S. and and culturally your family culture, right, based on ra being raised on a dairy farm to go into school, to thinking about business, to thinking about corporations. Um, did they support you in that? Yeah, look, it's it's a different time and a different generation to how rural communities go up. But, you know, when I got into law school, my dad said, how are you going to survive in a man's world? And and so, you know, and I, I guess I never thought about it. I just did it. And and it's been it's been quite a journey. But but I think, you know, growing up in that environment where men and women have a lot more defined roles and it, it caused a lot of um, uh, arguments in our house that I decided I was going to do something different. And I, I wasn't going to go on a dairy farm and I, I wasn't going to quit and work in a supermarket or any of these things that, you know, I was picking my own path and doing things my own way. And it's, and the reality is when I went to, off to college, I worked three jobs. It's, there was, there was no free lunch and not for me. And so I did all kinds of jobs and to support myself through school. And I never known a life other than working and and trying to fit it all together but but i think you know the the the, the australian education system works a little bit differently than, than the us but all being said is i wanted to work because i wanted to earn money i, I was very focused on earning as much money as i could and and once i had some money i wanted to earn more of it and so i ended up working multiple jobs all the time all the all the way through college and and was always focused on that it is the desire to make money and the desire to accumulate it. And, and to, to, because to me, it, it bought a level of freedom, right? Is, is if you can, and part of my message today, particularly for women, is that if you want to control your life, you have to control your own finances. And, and it's really important to, to take ownership and figure out how to do that. Because it's the it's a it's the easiest recipe to personal freedom is to control where your money supply comes from. Right. My my parents were uh, my father was an abusive alcoholic. My mom was dependent on him. 
very dependent on him financially. So she could never leave. So I always, my relationship with money was, I'm going to make my own money. I don't want to be dependent on a man ever, ever, which in some cases helped (laughs) me. In some cases it did not, right? Because, (laughs) because I actually created some boundaries around that in my relationships with men that really hurt the relationship because of it. So you have to find that fine line between being independent and making your own money, but also being able to uh, share it or, you know, um, I guess, uh, how would you describe that? That's that's actually a good message. And it's a little bit like, you know, when I was 18 or 19 and really deciding I wanted to control my own destiny and my own path and was really breaking away from the mold of my family um, of how it functioned and how it worked. And, and I remember thinking at that time that, you know, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get multiple jobs. And I bought my first car and I paid for everything myself um, in a desire to control the outcome of where I'm going. But at that time, I think kind of a little where you're going is I also leaned a little bit too much probably into it. So, you know, the concept of a of a, a, you know, my husband opening my car door. These days, I love it. <laughs> waiting for waiting for me, uh, you know, to get out of the elevator first. I love those things. But back when I was younger, you know, I was like, I can get my own door and I can get out of the elevator first. But now I, I just balance it and I appreciate the courtesy of those things um, and don't look at it anything more than it's courteous. And and I and I appreciate that and it's nice and. And so now I kind of revel in it. But when I was 18, it was the definite banging of heads and thinking, you know what? I don't need your help. I, I, I got this all by myself. And, and I think I've just mellowed. Maybe it's because I've had a lot of kids. And I've been married for a lot of kids. <laughs> but I, I've mellowed on some of these things. And I just, you know, accept um, nice things when they come my way for nothing other than they're just nice things. That's great. And, you know, one thing too, um, what I found for myself, and I see my kids doing it now, um, you go back to your values, you go back to your core values of how you were raised. You know, even though my family was dysfunctional, we still had core foundation of working hard and, and you know, buying a house and, and, and putting food on the table and respect, you know, uh, there, there are certain things that a value system that comes into play. And my kids, who I thought never, ever listened to me, you know, now they're 18 and 21. And I find their values are pretty closely aligned to what I have been teaching them their, their whole life. So being raised on a dairy farm, you know, work, working hard ethic, you know, I can see the, the relationship of where you get that, right? Yeah, and, and that's actually pretty perceptive, is that um, I have a similar focus and it's actually influences all my hiring practice it influences people that I talk to in general people I respect as well as the way we've raised our children is I have a really big issue with work ethic and and I think if you have a good work ethic and a desire to put in the effort whether it's washing dishes or making a bed or for me you know negotiating big deals if you take pure enjoyment from success and a job well done and are willing to work hard and persevere to get what you want, then you're going to do just fine in life. You know, in some ways, it doesn't matter where you go to school or what your grades are, you're going to be just fine. It's because that work ethic um, will hold you over and pull you through hard times um, as long as you got to try and remember the nice times, but it'll pull you through the hard times. And it's probably one of my number one 
of my top three or whatever list of character traits that I think um, are defining for even how you're successful in my business, that's one of them. It's, it's one of them is I can teach you pretty much anything. I can't teach you work ethic, right? right. I, I got to raise you with it. If you're raised with it, it's different. And I, and I can see it when I talk to people uh, and I take great pride in it that, that my kids have it. But it's something that we actually put a lot of effort into where, you know, sometimes do I feel bad that I make them do a little more than they should uh, to demonstrate and prove work ethic? No, not really. Um, but <laughs> what you do, it's making them persevere um, and to do mundane things and to appreciate the value of a job well done. I, I think those are super important and defining, you know, are recipes for people who are successful in general. That That's part of the reason they're successful. Right, because you're willing to be part of the team, right? You're willing to do anything and put any hat on and help out. And if you're not willing to do that, um, you know, then then you can only go so far, right? Because a lot of a lot of being a leader, a lot of running an organization is about collaboration, is about working well with other people. And if you're not willing to do your part to support everyone, no matter what level it is, when no matter yes. what task it is, it can be very difficult. Yeah, and that's, I mean, a, a job well done and work ethic manifests in different ways. It, it doesn't just mean working hard for yourself. It means working hard for what has been asked of you. And so if you've been asked of you, even if someone's not pulling their weight or you feel you're doing more, I, for me, don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. I think of what has been asked of me. And, and it's, I just had this conversation earlier today. It's if someone's asked something of you and you said you're going to do it, then you do it. And, right. and I don't care if the rewards are less than you thought or in a, in a test you get a zero or a homework. Is a, I don't care. Is If someone has asked that of you and you agree to do it, then you do it. And, and, and right. that's a little right. bit of, you know, a work ethic that is showing up in a different way, but it, it's delivering um, and pushing through regardless of, of the pain and suffering um, and to stop thinking about, you know, even, you know, getting out of bed each day and spending a lot less time thinking about what you do and don't want to do and focus on what needs to be done. And, right. and if you do a lot more of that, you'll find you're a lot happier. <laughs> Just in general, if, you, if you spend more time on looking for the value in everything you do and less on whether you do or don't want to do it. Um, right. And if you make that subtle shift, um, life can be a lot more fun. Absolutely. And and you could, you know, think of it as being in service of other people. Um, we need to do more of that as a society, for sure. And the older I get, I start thinking that way. But being in, you know, being in the tech industry, you always, you know, you're always of service to someone else. And that's one thing I see my kids being more of. And by doing that, um, it just makes me really proud of them, right? Because they're always willing to, to put themselves out there to help someone out for whether it's, you know, going into work extra early or helping someone, you know, who might be having a difficult time. And, and uh, you know, those are things that are really, really important. And people value that wherever you go, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's friendship or in a relationship. Yeah. And, you know, just on that mantra, I remember when we started our firm back in 09, someone had said to me, you know, Dad, the people you think will help you won't. But the people you least expect to help you be successful, they'll show up. And it's amazing because they did. <laughs> and so 
the mentors and the people that have really helped our firm be successful and have been great advisors and clients and people that we're surrounded by are people that, you know, I least suspected or I didn't even know um, then we started our firm. And, and, you know, we have a lot of really long-term relationships and they're really good people, but, but they're supportive um, and ask for nothing in return other than to help us be successful. And, and when people are like that and you're able to find people like that, you hold on to them really tight. Right. And, but it makes you want to invest equally in the relationship, right? It's the, the relationships that are worth it are the ones where both sides are willing to contribute. And right. it's, if only one side's willing to contribute, it's not a great relationship. And in my mind, they're ones you should just give up and say life is too short and, and focus on the ones where they want to work at it as much as you do. And those ones are a, a life sustaining and those friendships and relationships will last a lifetime. Because they want to see you successful as well. And that there's, you know, it's hard to find that some someplace with, when you have a, a client relationship because they don't always want to, you know, your clients don't always want you to be successful. It's all about them or vice versa, right? The, the, yeah. the firm doesn't want the client to be successful. It's all about them and their bottom line. Yeah. And look, I, I've realized over the years that um, my life is too short to work with people I don't like and to have clients that I don't want to work with. And, and when we started this firm, we said, we're not, we're in finance. It's a rough space to begin with is we're just not going to do that. It's we'll choose who we want to work with and work on deals we believe in and work with clients that we want them to be successful. And we believe we can help achieve that goal as partners with them. And there is a lot of freedom with that mentality. So it means that, you know, I, I get to get up every day and, and only work with people I like. And I guess I'm kind of spoiled because I, I get to do the job I like with people I like. <laughs> so, so my business <laughs> partner and I have been friends for 20 years. Um, it's one of the first people that I, I started working with when I came to the States. And I am blessed that our court paths and, uh, have taken different directions over the years. But where we are, where we are now. And, and we've had clients, some of them for 10 years. Um, and we've only been around 13 and so, and, and even, you know, relationships that I had at prior firms are still great relationships. And, and I look at that and I, but, but I think it's equal as like, I'm, I'm equally happy to invest in relationships too. Um, and I, I want the people that I like and respect to be successful. And, and so if I can play a role in that, then, then I'm more than happy to do that. And, you know, part of the reason I end up doing podcasts and, and talking to amazing people like you is that is in part for the next generation. It's so that to share those relationships I have now, but to give some of the lessons I've learned and some of the things that helped me get to where I am without thinking about it is trying to bottle it and share it downstream so that you can, people can realize not only the value of relationships and mentors, but also the story that they can achieve anything. It's if you put the check the fear at the door and just trust your gut and, and run with it and let's see how it goes. The, and, and that's the whole point of this podcast. It's called Women CEO in Reflection for a reason. So I absolutely love that. 
Um, so tell me a little bit about, um, you said you don't plan, you just go. So you have to plan a little bit. What, what's, what guidance would you give to someone to kind of flow a little bit more easier in life without the rigid planning? What, what do you do? Yeah. Look, I, and I get asked this a fair bit because, you know, some people need to plan and there is nothing wrong with being a planner. For some people, having a plan and penciling things out in detail, a lot of detail is super helpful them because it helps them crystallize their thinking. And so, and we actually have an entire business segment, service segment that helps people do that. And I think for some, that is super helpful. But the reality is, I mean, our business kind of, we fell into it. There was no grand plan to have a, you know, a boutique investment bank that was going to last 10 years. At, at the time, it was based on an idea of what we saw. And as our company has grown, I think my trade-off to business planning has been I'm pretty good at seeing an opportunity and taking advantage of it. And to me, in my world, I feel like if you spend too much time planning, you end up missing the exciting things along the way. And so the real trick is to be open-minded and, and to me, not be overly set in my ways so that when a good opportunity comes along, I can see it. And then I got to figure out how to take advantage of it, right? So there ends up being two pieces. It's seeing the opportunity when it's there, but be willing to embrace it and then execute. It, execute. What have I got to do to make this real? What have I got to do to make it successful? And, and that's the way my mind works. So I think in terms of bite sizes um, and saying, well, okay, well, here's an opportunity. Well, how am I going to make that successful? What have I got to do with it? Is kind of the way my brain works. Um, but I do appreciate it. lots of people are really big planners. It's just not the way that, that I tend to function. I, I'm much more comfortable winging it and playing it off the cuff and having a conversation and figuring it out as I go. Um, I, actually, I'm a very big figure it out as you go kind of person. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? Say when that's not. <laughs> but that's good because a lot of people, you know, they're always being told in business, you have to have a plan. You have to have a five-year, 10-year business plan. You have to do this. And it's so rigid. And I can do some of that, but I'm a little more relaxed. Um, and so it's good that, you know, our audience is hearing that, that you can be flexible. You have to go with what feels right. Don't fit into a box or a path that somebody says you have to go to be successful because there's many ways to be successful. That's right. And that's right. I, and I think what ties into that is, you know, seeing when a good opportunity presents and running with it. But it also means that if something's not working, you got to cut it loose. I mean, you can't spend time, you know, thinking your idea is the most amazing idea in the world. And if it's not working, you got to learn to tell the difference between cutting bait and just moving on or changing it versus whether it's worth to continue to persist at it. And, and though that's hard, that's hard to do that. And, and, you know, I think you get better at it the more you do, but also be willing that if it doesn't work, it's okay. Uh, that's all right. It's you just got to pick yourself up and move on. And, and I think women in general are not that great at that. They're, they're not great at, um, at, at just accepting what is um, and moving on. Uh, we have a tendency to, you know, to connect more to outcomes. And, and if it's not successful to second guess or to beat ourselves up or, you know, what did I do wrong? And um, it means I'm not good at it anymore. You gotta, I, I don't, for me personally, I don't think like that. I, I just, I, I move on to the next thing. 
And, and I said, well, okay, well, I just got to move on and pick myself up and, and keep moving forward. And, and so I don't spend a lot of time on looking in the in the back the back mirror. And you know, when I was at Morgan Stanley at one of the very senior MDs there, and there were not a lot of women, but it was one of the good pieces of advice I got from a female banker at the time that said, you know what, Deb? Never second guess your decisions. Don't do it. If you second guess your decisions, you'll stop making them. <laughs> so that's a good point. Don't make the decisions. It's second guess them. Once you've made a decision, you stick with it and you move on. And, and it may be a good call, but if it's not, don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out and, and you'll move on. And, and I, I didn't appreciate the value of that advice at the time, but in retrospect, I realize I live by it. I live by it. Once done is done, I can't fix it. And so all you can do is like is do the very best you can and but cut yourself some slack if if you're not successful. All right. Just cut yourself some slack. Cut yourself and don't worry about it. It's just switch course, change directions, and move on to the next thing. Because here's the thing, guys are really good at doing that. They're really <laughs> good at it. They're very good at it. And and I think, you know, uh, females have a have a lot less comfort with that because it's really hard to do, but it gets easier with practice. I promise. That's great advice. You know, we're nurturers at heart. So it's, you know, we don't want to get rid of something that we've spent so much time growing, Um, but you've got some great advice. Yeah. We are are at a time. Thank you so much. Uh, Where can people find you, Deborah? Uh, you can find, we have a website, uh, senecapgroup.com, uh, as well as on LinkedIn. And I'm on LinkedIn. You can type in Deborah Smith Senecap and I pop right up and feel free to connect. If anyone wants to chat or message me, I've, I'm more than happy to share my thoughts or candor or what I did right or wrong along the way anytime. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been such a great pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Marissa. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, The Art of Intentional Thinking, my personal coaching boot camp at IamAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you.